0: There we go.
1: You like the sweet science? Get ready to talk boxing on the Gloved Fist podcast with top boxing writers Frank Letirzo and Jack Hirsch. Frank, a former amateur boxer out of Philadelphia, writes for NY Fights and can be seen on the Boxing Channel. Jack, an amateur boxer who competed in the New York Golden Gloves, was a six term president of the Boxing Writers Association. And now, here's Frank Letirzo and Jack Hirsch.
0: Back. Welcome to Glove Fist, the best listen and learn boxing podcast out there. My name is Frank Letierzo, former fighter, part-time writer, full-time advocate. And Jack, before I kick it over to my co-host, Jack Hirsch, former six-time six-term president of the Boxing Writers Association. Jack, I just going to throw something out to you tonight. I've had some dental work done. I cannot open my mouth completely. I'm in a little bit of pain. My face is swollen. We are going to highlight Nito Benvenuti, Nito Benvenuti tonight. And I feel like he I was hit by the left hook that he knocked out Louis Rodriguez with. How are you? Yeah, yeah,
1: I don't think, unless they put you on the anesthesia, Frank, I don't know where you're out for the 10-pound, you know, during the time. But you look pretty good. Frank, I okay, mean, I don't know my, swollen, I a kid
0: up my mouth all the way to tonight tonight like to get okay,
1: me. If you're, if you're bailing out, we're tag team, I'll do my share. You know, <laughs> we're gonna go the distance and we're gonna have another winning show uh, tonight. You know, speaking of uh, winning shows, winning teams, I mean, we had some games in the NFL uh, this weekend, and especially Saturday after I watched two NFL games. Then you had the Gary Russell, Mark Masayo fight for the WBC uh, featherweight title. And Gary Russell was referred to as the longest reigning world champion, a world champion since 2015. But Frank, I mean, I can hold on to a title if I never fight it once I have a title. So I was never overly impressed with Gary russell as a so-called world champion but i was impressed with his talent level he definitely skilled an elite fighter he held with sally lomachenko to a majority decision it should have been unanimous but he came up with a good fight against lomachenko who we know is a great fighter he did beat jojo diaz he has a load of talent but he dropped the title uh, By majority decision to mark Masayo, Uh, one judge had it 114-114. The other two judges 115-113. I had it a little wider for Masayo. But in all fairness, by the time the fight came on, I had just got done watching the Packer 49er game after watching the Bengal Titan game. So I was like a tired scorer watching it. But Gary Russell in the fourth round of the fight, did legitimately hurt his hand. He wasn't the same. And basically he was fighting with one hand for the most part. So it was a gutty effort to go the distance to hang in there. But despite Gary Russell claiming he was wrapped and saying he handed out a boxing lesson, that's nonsense. He didn't at all. The decision for Masayo was legitimate and Masayo being a protege of Manny Pacquiao that's guaranteed to bring them attention. Now, does Russell deserve a rematch, Frank? That's a big question. It was a mandatory title defense, so there was no rematch clause. But considering Russell's inactivity uh, over the years, I'm not too keen on him automatically getting a rematch. If Messiah wants to give him one, I have no problem with that at all because Russell did have the bad luck hurting his hand But I don't feel it's the type of thing someone should say, well, Russell's been a champ for six, seven years. He certainly should have it after losing by a close decision. I don't buy that at all. Messiah will do what Messiah wants to do, and I'll back that up.
0: Well, let me ask you this, Jack. I didn't see the fight. I was in bad pain Saturday night. I was zoned out. I didn't see the fight. Based on what you saw Saturday night, would you have any desire to see the fight again one, two, do you think Russell would win a third fight? And three, second fight. do you, do you second think fight. any a second fight? And who, and three, what do you think of Messiah based off his of showing?
1: Well, the number one, a rematch, it could go either way. Looking at Russell, I think the inactivity, Frank, as you well know, it catches up to a fight eventually. And I could just tell by his body tone, how he looked. The inactivity's inactivity's taken a toll. Russell's became a businessman. Fight once a year, get a nice payday, then chill out and don't fight anyone else unless a mega payday falls into his lap. And it wasn't about to fall into his lap. I know Russell had challenged Tank Davis, but who hadn't challenged Tank Davis? Even though Tank Davis has a world of talent, and I know you're high on him then anyone in and around the lightweight division. And that might prove to be a, you know, good opinion to have in time because we don't know how it's eventually going to turn out all these lightweight stars. But uh, it wasn't a match where Russell was in demand himself because he was a heck of a fighter, tough to beat. Mayweather wasn't about to risk that fight against Russell or anyone else. You know, he just wanted to pick his spots. If they fought a rematch, I get a feeling it would be a a close decision again. Very close decision. I have a feeling Masayo would sneak through again. Split through again. Fight, fight. Yeah, but it would be close no matter who would win.
0: Yeah, Russell, look, he squandered a lot of ability. He's definitely skilled. But, you know, you can't fight fight once a year and maintain that. You lose your edge. and, And you can tell. If the guy's in fighting shape by his body and you said he looked a little bit, not a little civilized, not like a real fit fighter. So I'm going to go with what you said, Jack. And uh, Gary Russell, he just has never been busy enough for me as an active champion five times in six years. That's not going to get it done. We also posted that we're going to talk about the um, upcoming Oscar Valdez Shakur Stevenson fight. That's down the road, but I think that's a big fight that a lot of people are interested in. I like Shakur, but I think Valdez is a live dog. Um, He's not real fast, but he's physically strong. He can really punch, but I do think that Shakur is getting stronger as he physically matures. I think Stevenson, if he fights a strategic fight, he should win. He has the politics on his side, but it's not a lock for him. And Also, Stevenson is one of those guys. What makes him tough is he's hard to hit, he's getting stronger, he can box, and he has a good defense.
1: Would you agree with me that Stevenson has the worst style for any opponent? If you had to say whose style, we're not talking about ability, is the worst for anyone to take on, it would be Shakur Stevenson's style.
0: He has a way of of shutting down what you want to yeah. do. He's got a little whitaker in him a little Lomachenko, and I would say, I would agree with that.
1: Yeah, and him and Valdez, for Valdez is looking for redemption because he tested positive for a banned substance in his last fight against Concergo. I hope I'm pronouncing it right, and he didn't look that good in that fight, and he had a lot of worries going into the fight, he was upset because you could tell Valdez is a sensitive guy, he wants to have a good image and testing positive didn't help his image then he said he had no idea how he tested positive we always hear that frank we've never heard a fighter say oh i took it you know i no, they never come away with it i thought it could help me i'd love to hear that you want to know something frank if i the first one to admit he took a banned substance intentionally because he thought it would make him a better fighter that night and lead him to victory. That's the first guy I'm going to forgive. The, that's a guy I'm going to forgive the quickest. I'm going to say, wow, that's awesome. The guy's coming clean. You made a mistake, but I'm going to give you a pass as long as you never do it again. But we got to change the result of your fight. And Stevens, the Stevenson fight's going to take people's minds off. Valdez with the banned substance because him against Shakur Stevenson, what a fight that same night, Frank. Is boxing messing up? Because on April 30th, the night that it's scheduled to be in uh, either Vegas or Los Angeles, I forgot which one, the Shakur Stevenson Oscar Valdez fight at Madison square garden. They have scheduled tentatively Katie Taylor against the man, Amanda Serrano. And Eddie Hearn, the promoter, said he's putting that in the main arena, not the small arena. Right, not so the So they're self. gonna have a good undercard, and that's gonna be the biggest women's fight in many a year, and it's gonna create a, I think, a big buzz in New York. Because Serrano is from New York, Katie Taylor, in a certain set, in a certain sense, you'd agree, is. You know, been the biggest name of women's boxing. I know we hear Claressa Shields, but Katie Taylor has done the most work in that regard as far as maybe being the face of women's boxing. And it's going to be, you know, a big event here in New York. So two big shows head to head. And I'm going to tell you something, Frank. I might be more intrigued with the Taylor Serrano fight because in the Stevenson-Valdez fight, I'll tell you now, I'm going to be picking Stevenson to win. Uh, to me, it's not quite a 50-50 fight, even though on paper it might be. I don't look at it, in, you know, in my prediction that way. But Taylor Serrano, that's a fight to me that could go either way. So I'm kind of excited about that.
0: You know what, Jack? I can I can see your point. I, I can't be objective on that because I admit right up front, I haven't. Fo- the women don't hold my interest like maybe they should. So if I, I can only watch. I will watch who's gonna
1: Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to hear you. We you have some technical difficulty now, Frank. I'm I'm
0: sorry. Okay, I'll try to speak a little louder.
1: I oh, yeah. no, no, have no, no, more interested
0: good. in interest.
1: I don't blame you. Don't what don't, more don't, inter- don't.
0: I don't feel bad about following the girls. And you know what? Maybe this fight will bring me in a little bit. But I have more interest in the Valdez-Stevenson fight because I want to watch Stevenson's progression. And Jack, we talked about style. it's very hard to figure out.
1: We're having a little technical <laughs> Uh, How about now? Okay, Yeah. You know, you talk about women's boxing, but the ironic thing is, if I had to name off the top of my head, only off the top of my head, the most savage one-punch knockout I ever saw, you know, on my short list for sure, would be Ann Wolf knocking Wolf. out Bob Award with that one, oh, you know, that one shot. I mean, then you think, of course, Bob Foster, Mike Quarry, And, of course, it wasn't as savage. You think of the beauty of Sugar Ray Robinson's six-inch punch. That was the most beautiful one-punch knockout. But when you think of savage knockouts, the women actually do have a candidate. with Absolutely. But back to
0: Stevenson and Valdez, Jack. I agree about Stevenson having a hard style. But the one thing... uh, Is it an
1: aggressive? Ron Lyle and
0: George Foreman too, but if Jim, what did he did? would have been nullified by Frazier and that pressure can these cute boxers
1: yeah frank i'm only hearing you like partly and i'm not saying it's on your end at all the technical difficulty but i'm you know i'm getting parts of what you're saying right now so if i seem to be going okay we'll just end, agree with Graham me and we'll be That's okay I'll not my we usually agree anyway. You know, Joe uh Bergman puts up <laughs> Hearns Duran one punch knockout. Yeah, that was a classic there. That was against an now of shape Duran, I thought. I didn't think Duran for some crazy reason Duran just wasn't in shape against Tommy Hearns. You could But he would
0: never beat be Hearns.
1: Uh, uh Yeah, he didn't have the style to beat Hearns. No, bad matchup. But if bad matchup. But if they Because
0: Duran, Jack Duran to deal with Hearns has to get inside. The same thing with uh, the fight we're going to talk about later is Foreman and Frazier. Frazier has to get inside. Foreman could damage him on the outside before he getting inside, and that nullifies his game. And Hearns did the same thing to Duran.
1: Why don't we get to a January 22nd, 1973, Kingston, Jamaica, Frank. I'm telling you the truth here. I'm not just saying it. I'm being honest. I picked Foreman to stop Frazier in four rounds. Why did I pick him to stop him in four rounds? I thought the fight of the century when Frazier beat Ali, that was it. He was on the decline. After he was never the same again, he showed up in top form for Two, three more fights after that. Certainly the second fight with Quarry, he was in great form. And both Ali fights, the second and third, even though I think the second Ali fight, Foreman would have obliterated him in that fight. Uh, The fight in Manila, Frasier may have given Foreman some problems, but Foreman would have prevailed. And Listen, Foreman and Frazier fought a second time, and it wasn't as ugly the second fight. Foreman stopped him in five rounds, didn't knock him down till the fifth when he caught him a big blow. Maybe a younger Joe Frazier, you know, it could maybe would have turned out somewhat different. But I have to believe, uh, I, you know, and even Frazier said to me 25 years after the fight of the century with Ali when he was on book tour, I got him to, you know, open up and he said he thinks even to him of the first Ali fight. Uh, you know, wouldn't have. He doesn't, doesn't think it would have made a difference as far as what happened. Him and Foreman, it was a question of styles. So he even agreed Foreman just had the style to beat him. But Frank, you and I are on the same page. DeFriesha, the first alley fight, would have had a shot at beating. You know, would have had a shot at beating Foreman. I'm not saying he would have, but he would have had a legitimate chance of upending Big George, even the one in Kingston. What do you think?
0: Well, I'll tell you what, the night they fought, I was 14, I was in wrestling practice, and I remember during one of our rare breaks, I turned to this guy next to me, Mike Smith, and I said, Mike, I said, I would love to be Joe Frazier tonight. He said, why is that, Frank? I said, he beat Ali in the biggest fight ever. He's... He's fighting a guy tonight who swings wild, who has no defense, who he will not miss with his left hook, and he's going to run over Foreman. That's what I thought going in. Now, my father takes me to the fight, close circuit, at the Cherry Hill Arena. And because I was such an Ali fan, I always rooted against Frazier. However, on this night, I remember walking into the arena, and one of the guys from school says to me, I see a kid from my school, Hey, Frank, who do you like? I said, Ice him, Joe. So we go in, watch the prelims, fight comes on. True story Foreman comes out, and he dusts Frazier off in the first round. Three knockdowns in the first round. And that's after fighting Ali for 45 minutes and only backing up once in the ninth round. He knocks Joe down three times in the first round. And I turned to my father and I said, Foreman should have never made Frazier mad. And then we know what happened in the second round. And Jack, I really believe, and you know I posted this, that that night we saw the greatest two-hand exhibition of punching power in the heavyweight division that I've ever seen. Because, you know, you can say Frazier wasn't in great shape But he was still Joe Frazier. He was 29 years old. He just turned 29. 29 29-0, 25 knockouts, all the confidence in the world. And within a minute and a half, George Foreman was beating him like he was a rag doll. And if you had never seen Joe Frazier fight, you would think that he was a stumble bomb. And I actually had nightmares about Foreman that night. I don't remember seeing an execution like that. To a guy, the quality of Frazier. If you think about it, until Ali beat Foreman, no other challenger beat a more formidable defending champ than Foreman did that night. And as we see now, and I will say this to you, if you predicted that before the fight, again, I was 14. That was great insight. I thought oh, no, Frazier, no, let me tell you
1: why. Let me tell you why, Frank. I wasn't predicting Foreman was going to knock out the Frazier of the Ali fight. It was 22 months after the fight of the century, and Frazier had two title defenses that were extremely soft against two unregulated. They were paid workouts. I saw Terry Daniels hit Frazier a lot, hit him and stop him in his tracks, and Daniels could have been no more than a sparring partner for Joe Frazier. The Frazier, the first Ali fight would have taken Daniels out within two minutes.
0: Joe uh, lost had, his age. And
1: then there's Ron Standa. He had to, you know, he had to cut Standa up, you know, and get him out at the end of four rounds when they, they pulled Standa out on the stool. But Frazier actually boxed Standa. He pulled an alley. His hands were down. Side he was jabbing side. Him and slicing his face up. He wasn't the same fighter. Something was missing. Listen, certain times a guy's ready to be taken. Let's say, for example, the smoking Joe between the rematch with Quarry and the Thrill in Manila had one fight. That was against Jimmy Ellis, a rematch. And it took him nine rounds to stop Ellis the second time. And he never knocked Ellis down. And Ellis won the first three rounds of the rematch. First three rounds. But, ready. Jack, you know what? who Ellis.
0: Frazier knew he had Jimmy's number, and I really believe he looked at that as a paid workout because a few months later against Ali, he was a totally, totally different fighter. But Foreman just had, it was 217, he was on a mission, and remember this too, a lot of people forget this, one, Frazier was over a 3-1 to favorite. And yeah. he is the only guy, if you take the great triumph of, of Ali Frazier and Foreman, you know, Frazier was the favorite over both of them the first time they fought. Six or seven to five over Ali, almost three, three a little over three to one over Foreman. But, you know, Yank Durham, Frazier's trainer, did not want to make that fight. And Jack, if you think about it, I defy anyone who... Why did he
1: make the fight, Frank? I mean, that's interesting what you said. Could you expand on that? You're saying he didn't want to make the fight.
0: Yang Durham fight. feared. He feared that Foreman style would be a problem for Frazier. On the other hand, remember, after Ali lost to Frazier and he wanted the immediate rematch and Frazier made him wait, Ali no, said— No, did
1: not want an immediate rematch. No, Frank. That never happened. he did. No,
0: I, I mean, within a year, not, not the sure. next fight, but he, won, he wanted to fight him again. If you remember, he went out and he said, Joe, I'm going to defeat every contender out there until I'm the last man standing. Who was the only man he didn't fight?
1: What, what, had, happened, what had happened after Ali lost to Frazier? Both guys, you know, it was inevitable they were going to fight again. They were feeling one another. Initially, there was some concern from Ali that Frazier might retire after the first fight. When it became apparent, he wasn't. Frazier even boxed, you know, then both guys were kind of waiting it out. Ali would say no Frazier yet. Frazier would say when the time comes. And, And it was getting to the point where they were seriously... Starting to discuss a rematch It was going to come It was going to happen as soon as Frazier was supposedly Going to beat Foreman They were going to sign right after that But of course that didn't happen And, and, it, and there was a detour But Ali didn't want a rematch In 1971 That's uh, no Jack, way that, I,
0: I can't say I agree with that I have all Ali's fights and all he talks about Is I want the tramp I mean the champ, As soon as I can get him However Back to what I was saying. Ali eliminated all the contenders, and he wanted to fight Foreman after he fought Jerry Quarry the second time. Dick Sadler told Ali, Muhammad, we love you, but we want to fight the man with the title, and that's Joe. And by the way, George matches up better with Joe. On the Frazier side, here's how the fight happened with Foreman. Ali was demanding purse parity with Frazier. Even though Joe was the champ, Ali said, you're fighting guys like Standard and Daniels. I would be booed if I fought them. All my fights are being beamed around the world. People pay to come to see me. They can watch you in their bathroom on a TV. And Frazier said, I'm not giving you purse parity. I split it with you the first time when you were undefeated you hadn't lost the title in the ring. I'm not giving you purse parity. Yank Durham said to Frazier, Joe, sign the fight, I'll If worse comes the worst, you lose a decision and you get a third fight. This guy Foreman, we know nothing about him. He's an awkward, big, strong guy. He could be a problem. Joe Frazier said to Yank Durham, Yank, if you don't make the fight, I'm gonna make it. And Frazier turned down $3 million to fight Ali and turned around and fought Foreman for or for dollars
1: or $800,000. Oh, yeah. And it
0: turned out to be the biggest, you know mi- biggest about, mistake ever.
1: You know what's ironic about all that? Frazier loses the title to Foreman. And Ali gets upset by Ken Norton, but he beats Norton in a rematch. But Ali, by 1974, he badly wants to avenge the Frazier loss, badly. At that point, he pushed the issue to the point where Ali accepted purse parity 50-50. Isn't that ironic? Neither of them held the title, but Ali wasn't going to say, no, i get more money, because then Frazier wasn't going to fight him. So Frazier actually, when he wasn't the champion, in a certain sense, Had a little more leverage than he when he was the champion, isn't that weird, Frank?
0: It is, and and if you think about it, Frazier doesn't match up with Foreman, he's a nightmare for Ali. Ali doesn't really have the favorable matchup with Frazier, but he does Foreman, and that's what makes that so great. And I see our man Pone. I gotta
1: correct something, Ali was always calling out Frazier every day since the first fight but he wasn't pushing the issue to have a rematch he jack was, i cannot agree with his that names, he wasn't at all I'm i cannot let that anymore. go unchallenged I lived, I lived i lived through that time jack
0: i, was, I lived through it too ali was talking calling frazier i want the champ i mean the tramp after every fight he was all over he was fighting he was he was commentating and giving interviews after every Frazier fight, the two Frazier fights after Frazier beat him, after the 12 fights he had, when he after losing to Frazier, he called out Frazier. He was obsessed with fighting Frazier on the rematch. And I'll tell you what, Jack, that had a lot to do with the outcome because Ali fought what, 12 times between their first and second fight? And Ali Frazier was fought a what? Three?
1: Businessman, those were nice paid days. It was like the Ali Circus beat Jimmy Ellis. Beat Buster Mathis, beat Jerry Quarry, beat, he beat Max Foster, Higgins. Chivago, Jurgen Jer- you know, Jer- Brand, Patterson. Ali, it was the Ali Circus. He was getting great paydays. He was the people's champion. He was the most popular heavyweight in the world, even though Frazier held the title. And he was able to diminish Frazier's standing as a champion because he was fighting, obviously, the much better guys. Never mind if Frazier. Beat those guys for the most part, like Ellis, Mathis, Bob Foster, Quarry. Quarry. Uh, all Ali was doing was getting the guys who Frazier beat. But I could tell you something, it was a heck of a lot more impressive than beating Terry Daniels and Ron Stander. Those guys right. were worthy of title matches. But, you know, but listen, they didn't fight two more times after, and it was inevitable that they were going to uh, fight. You know, you get the feeling Joe. You know, would have fought the guy ten, Ali 10 times and lost to him 10 times just to get him on the 11th time. You got that feeling. It was so personal with him. I think with Ali, it was less personal than just to prove that he, as he called himself, was the greatest. But, Before we uh,
0: transition to another topic that involves Ali, let me ask you this, and I'll give my opinion. You've heard me say on this show countless times there have been four great swarmers. Dempsey, Marciano, Frazier, Tyson, and I'll throw in Tua could have been the fifth Beatle if he would have had dedication and drive. He didn't, so he's not. I believe that Foreman, prime Foreman, 73-74, annihilates any version of Tyson, Marciano, or Dempsey based on the styles. You agree?
1: Uh, You know, I can't disagree i mean listen marciano was a, basically a slow starter he had to build up a head of steam how would he survive foreman's attack for same thing rounds? with Rage, a
0: slow starter
1: right how would he survive his attack okay i mean and T- tyson was a very quick starter so you know it would have been bang bang but listen i I find it hard to bet against the foreman The Kingston, Jamaica. Very hard to bet against them. Uh, Dempsey would have been there for foreman. I mean, Dempsey would have had to get foreman in around the two very quickly. And you'd think foreman could have held Dempsey off because foreman could back off and keep a guy at bay. And he, he was. He pushed so, him off.
0: He'd lean on their left yeah, shoulder.
1: Right. I mean, the one name you don't mention. That and you know who I'm getting at as a heavyweight who would have came right to Foreman and could Foreman withstood would Foreman have with able to s- withstood his attack was his old stablemate Sonny Liston in Liston's prime. He's the one guy style-wise, even a foreman at Kingston, would he you know, maybe Liston would have you know, gotten a job done against Foreman. I don't know, but I'll agree with you, Frank, the Foreman of Kingston, Jamaica. I remember what Lou Eskin told me, uh, the late Lou Eskin. And he, he thought Ali was the greatest heavyweight of all time. He said the four, the Foreman of Kingston, Jamaica, he felt no one could have beaten him that night. You know, he was like incredible focused. And even though he didn't beat the same Frasier, the fight of the century. Wow. I mean, Foreman was in great shape, he, you know, I said, hey, and you know strategy wise he was thinking he had his head on his shoulders focused he may have you know he certainly was on the short list of the greatest heavyweights of all time in Kingston I can't say I feel that former with a beaten and you know the alley of the Cleveland Williams fight the Terrell fight the first list you know the list in fights You know, question of styles. You know, I would have had to go with Ali against even that. Ali matches
0: matches up good with Foreman. But but why? Because Ali can take a punch and Foreman can't get him out quick. And we know Ali has the better, the better gas and boxing skill. So Ali matches up with him. As far as Liston, if Cleveland Williams and a good Cleveland Williams can give Liston nine kinds of hell before he goes, I think Foreman is bigger than Liston, stronger, a harder puncher, and I think that he would have beat him. And I see our buddy Joe Bergman has a great one there. Joe,
1: uh, Tua versus
0: Joe, he has he has Tua versus Foreman. Joe, I believe that David Tua is the single biggest one-punch heavyweight since Foreman. Had they fought As much as I like Tua and as good as his chin is, he is one guy that Foreman would have jabbed, kept outside, pushed him off, and uppercutted him to death. And I think that Foreman is the one guy that could go through Tua and beat him up pretty overwhelmingly.
1: What styles would Angelo Dundee, before he trained Foreman late in his career, he said it best. Foreman is devastating against short guys you put him in against tall guys he has a hard time doing anything against them <clears throat> in october night october 29th 1971 i was at madison square Garden to see form and then this is before he became world champion fight a brazilian fighter louis Pierre. right and pierre's tipped us off as to the rope-a-dope we didn't know it at the time Foreman stopped him at the end of the fourth or the end of the fifth. I forgot. He took a bad Pierres. beating, Pierre. Pierrez was lying on the ropes the whole time and surviving, surviving. And he was no Ali. He actually laid the blueprint on the rope. But Lennox Lewis, I would think Star was a big, tall guy. Those were fits for Foreman because the uppercut, you know, where he would punch up. Wouldn't have the same effect. But then again, Lewis's chin was so-so. I think
0: you know. Foreman beats him. I don't think it's easy, but I think he beats him because the Foreman who – now, remember, we're talking about the form, the, the best of both guys. The 40-0, 37-knockout Foreman, I really believe, Jack, the only guy that could have beat him was the guy that did in Zaire. And had he won that fight, he would have gone down as the GOAT. Speaking of the GOAT Championship, this week was the 52nd anniversary of the Ali or Marciano Ali computer fight. Now, we know the result. We know the technical result is Marciano stopped Ali in the 13th round. Jack, I'm going to throw my theory at you because everybody watching us knows. They, they boxed 71 rounds, one-minute rounds. Marciano lost weight, put on a toupee. Allie was out of shape. He needed the money. He didn't take it serious. But, Jack, I can't believe – I like to think when it comes to boxing, I'm a little insightful. I can't believe it took me 52 years to process the fact that I believe there is no way Rocky Marciano would have agreed to that computer fight unless he had some type of a heads up that he was going to win. Because if you think about it back then in July of 69, nobody believed Ollie was ever going to fight again. So the thought would be, they would be the only two undefeated heavyweight champions at the time. Whenever you had the crossover generation fights, because of the influence and bias of Nat Fleischer, the old school guys always won at that time. We did not, be- did not know what we were watching in Ali. We did not know how great his chin was, how tough he was, how much stamina he had, how mentally tough he was. And the establishment probably thought he'd be undefeated. And I believe that they probably wanted a way to mark his record up a little bit and put the perception out there that he wasn't so great. However, with Marciano, as much as he loved money, That legacy of being undefeated was his stock and trade. He turned down a king's ransom to come back and fight Inga Mario Hansen and Patterson because he said he just didn't have it anymore and he didn't want to be on their record that they lost. And I just believe, Jack, that there's no way Rocky would have rolled the dice against the loudmouth, black, Dodge. Unlike any other heavyweight, I don't think he would risk that. And then, in closing, I'll just say this: He was asked by his brother Peter and others, "How do you think the Ali thing went?" And Rocky said, "Good." He goes, "I knocked him out in the thirteenth round." So, in closing, I'm just going to say this: We all know the result, but I believe Rocky knew the result before it was released. Ali didn't. Yeah, I don't.
1: I don't doubt what you're saying, Frank. It, you know. A lot of your argument makes sense, but a couple of things I got to point out. Uh, the fight was shown also in Europe, and in Europe, Ali won. They had different edited version, so we're talking about here in the United States, a Marciano comes from behind. He gets knocked down early. It was like a, a replay of the Jersey Joe Walcott fight. Where he won the Exactly. Title. And he comes from behind when it looks like Ali's gonna win and Rocky wins and Rocky's the hero. I gotta point and Marciano, yeah, I heard that too. He tipped off his brother Peter as to the result that I guess they told him the result. And maybe Rocky was given assurances beforehand. Don't worry about it, Rocky, at all. It's gonna turn out okay without him being told. Rocky Marciano loved money. Loved money. I mean, he hid his money, whatever, anything to make a buck. And Ali needed money badly because that's when he was forced out of the ring. But I got to point out something which made it very obvious beforehand why Marciano was going to win outside of society's feelings. It was so obvious. Two years before their fight, they had a computerized heavyweight tournament. Ali was in the tournament. Marciano was in the tournament. Ali gets outpointed and loses to Jim Jeffries in the tournament by decision. An absurd result. Not so much because they said Jeffries beat Ali, because Jeffries was a legendary champion in his time. He was considered a hero. Even in the 60s, he was still regarded, Jim Jeffries, as one of the great heavyweight champions of all time. Matt Glacier had him second. Second, yeah. And his legacy was unfairly tarnished by losing to jack johnson he came off a six-year layoff but we discussed that in the past show so jeffrey's out points Ali, by close decision uh uh marciano wins the tournament knocking out jack dempsey so how on earth are they going to have Ali beating marciano but all your points there frank are, are very well taken they're great points society didn't know. First off, they didn't know how great Ali would be later. They didn't know what type of punch he would take.
0: Marciano was the bigger star back then.
1: In America, it would have it would have been bad, you know, to have Ali win because Ali at that time with all his rhetoric also, you know, talking about separation of the races and this and that, Ali was very unspoken and he wasn't, the icon he'd later become as far as popularity, where everyone would love Ali. Now you have a computer fight Ali against Marciano. If Marciano won, there you know, only a small percentage, you know, of fans would be very, you know, would back the result, I would think, you know, because society evolves over time. It becomes crazy. Like if Floyd Mayweather fought Sugar Ray Robinson now, I mean, most people would feel Robinson would win most fans, but you'll probably get about thirty percent, thirty-five percent will say, Oh, Floyd was better than Sugar Ray. And you know, as time goes by, you know what I
0: say to them, Jack?
1: Yeah, I know they know,
0: I- they know nothing and they're wrong.
1: Right, right, right. But how things evolve. And let me right. tell you a
0: funny story before we get to another Italian hero, Nino Benvenuti. My father's name was Rocky. My dad loved boxing. Love Rocky Marciano. My grandfather, in his mind, Bruno San Martino, greatest wrestler. Marciano, the greatest fighter. Joe DiMaggio, the greatest basketball player. In about 1967, 66, my grandmother dies. My grandfather gets married a year later. He meets this woman who, I'll just say this. My grandfather still had some life in him. He was still kind of a player and he could play with her. She checked the boxes, but the problem was she didn't cook. So on the weekends, my grandfather had four kids. Obviously my father was, was one of them. He was the youngest on the weekends. He would take turns going to his kid's house for dinner. When he would come to our house, I would tease him. I'd say, grandpa, you know, I think Muhammad Ali would have beat that meatball Rocky Marciano. I just think he's too quick, too big. And he'd get upset. He'd get mad. So it got to the point where he would start giving my father a hard time about me thinking and believing that Ali would win. And my grandfather would say to him, my father goes, well, what what did you do to this kid? Why does he think that? He goes, I don't know, dad. He goes, he reads all those boxing magazines upstairs in his room. He goes, I guess that's what they're saying. He goes, well, why the hell do you let him read them? Anyhow, it got to the point where my father on Sunday morning would warn me and say, look, he goes, if grandpa comes over today, you can't tease him about Ali and Rocky Marciano because your grandfather's from a different generation. He can't take it. Lo and behold. He shows up one Sunday after the computer fight and he has a boxing magazine (laughs) on the cover. Yeah, and it's like.
1: And and that won the argument.
0: Hey, the computer said Marciano could beat him. I was right. You were wrong, kid.
1: Yeah, and the other argument they like to, you know, hold on to even at the end of Ali's career. Well, Ali lost to someone with seven fights. Leon Spinks not really realizing the circumstances late in his career. Now guys are getting title shots all the time with seven or less fights. Guys are coming from, you know, Russia, so on. But it's, uh, listen, society... Evolves. I think when we compare who the greatest fighters are, maybe we should only talk was one fighter greater in his era than the other fighter was in his era because the eras, you know, they just don't mix. You know, they're not... Jack, yeah, the, the older first. I get,
0: the more I realize that it's best to talk about fighters that you actually saw. Yeah. I started following boxing from 64 i am very confident talking about anybody then there's a lot of films of joe lewis i can see how great he was and how he could be maybe the greatest harry greb everybody loves there's no film of him based on his record he's the one guy i have no problem putting at the top because of his record but again i never saw him you can't compare errors especially in the heavyweights look in, in in twenty in 1922, 160 pounds was the middleweight as it is today. Today, Ollie would be a small heavyweight. Back in his day, he was big. I have arguments with guys that tell me Tom Brady could have never played in John Elway's era. And I've had guys tell me John Elway couldn't have played in Otto Graham's era. You just can't compare errors.
1: No, no, not at all. Okay, you know, let's talk about one of the, you know, who, did you mention a moment ago, one of the fighters of my youth who created quite a buzz? I mean, a real matinee idol, Nino Benvenuti. Uh, what does Benvenuti rate to you, Frank? How, how great did you think he was?
0: I think he's in the top 10 all time junior middleweights. And you could make a case that he's a top 17, 18 middleweight. How would you be with that?
1: Well, you know, it's interesting when you say junior middleweight. He did hold a junior middleweight title before winning the middleweight title. But the junior middleweight title didn't mean that much. You know, I remember he knocked out Sandro Mazingi, a good fighter. And then he lost... Beat him in a, a rematch. Decision ...to Kisu Kim. Right, good point. And, you know, and then he created a buzz against... Uh, Emil Griffith, when he won the title from a um, uh, New York Madison Square Garden, and they had three thrilling fights. Griffith won the rematch at Shea Stadium to regain the title. Then Benvenuti opened the garden on March 4th, 1968, having a rubber match with Griffith, in which Benvenuti was an underdog, but he knocked Griffith down in the ninth round, withheld Griffith, withstood Griffith's rally over the last three rounds and regained the title. He was kind of erratic, Nino Benvenuti. I mean, he'd have these moments of greatness, like you mentioned before the show, his one-punch knockout over Louis Rodriguez, who was a great fighter. And in his prime, who was raising hell as a middleweight, former welterweight champ, clearly the number one middleweight contender, was on a great run. And
0: was beating Benvenuti when he got stopped.
1: Beating him after 10 rounds, and Benvenuti was cut badly. It might not have even gone to the cards, you know. They may have stopped it, and then one punch out of nowhere from Benvenuti flattens the great Louis Rodriguez. and you know. So he'd have those moments of greatness, but he was erratic. He, you know, those days, Frank. I don't know whether you support champions fighting non-title matches, even though I'm sure you would if it meant they were keeping busy. But Benvenuti would have some clunkers in non-title matches. Tom. But Thea knocks him out in a non title fight. He
0: actually match. quit. He, he hurt his ribbon. He quit. Yeah. You could. And he lost hard. to. Um, who was he? He, had another, he lost to Fraser Scott, I believe. Didn't he lose to him in a non no, no, title fight?
1: He fought a draw with Doyle Baird. Doyle Baird. Yeah. And he later beat him in a rematch. But I always wondered what Benvenuti would uh You know who would have gone inside of Benvenuti's head and roughed him up? If we have to compare for Bernard Hopkins, a fighter from your Apache, would have Benvenuti hated getting roughed up, would always be complaining, and H- Hopkins would have seen that and roughed him up in a way where I could see Benvenuti quitting or losing his cool. And you know, he had some good wins. He beat Don Fulmer. You know what people don't realize when when he lost the title finally to the great Carlos Monzon, who probably would have beaten Benvenuti at his best. You know, no doubt. Uh, Carlos Monzon beat him in the rematch, but Benvenuti had one fight in between that and he lost to a fighter, Jose Chirino. That's astonishing. And he still got the title. He still match. got the title shot. Yeah, but he, you know, he beat guys like Don Fulmer, but when they had the title match, Fulmer actually knocked him down. But he had a share title defenses. You know, uh, we talked about Gary Russell's injured hands. Benvenuti fought a non-title match against Dick Tiger. Dick Tiger. Um, and he lost the decision, but Benvenuti injured his hand, broke his hand early in the fight, legitimate injury. And it was a timid fight, but the point is, Tiger beat him. There was, you know, sometimes they say, Frank, and I don't know whether you subscribe to this theory or not, even though it makes a lot of sense. They say once a guy wins the title, he becomes a better fighter because of the confidence and everything. Benvenuti, I think, became a worse fighter after he was champion. You know, he lost it in his first defense, he regained it, and then he was very erratic the rest of his career. He show moments of greatness and moments you can't explain where he was extremely mean. He was
0: also a playboy and a partier. And let's not forget, he was a gold medalist, he won the Val Baker trophy. Oh, some, some records have him being undefeated as an amateur. He won the Olympic the same year Ali did. He won the gold medal in Rome in 1960, turns pro in 61. You know, he was fun. He had a following. He was, a, he was one of the big names of our youth. Not an all-time great. And he lost the title to an all-time great who he would have never defeated, just like he would have never beaten a good Dick Tiger. I mean, you know, he was fun. His fights were somewhat exciting. He was a boxer puncher. He could box. He could use his jab. He had nice crisp hooks and uppercuts. But like he said, he could get flustered if things didn't go his way. He'd look for the referee to bail him out. But he was definitely a character. And, you know, he was actually the God. He asked Emil Griffith to be the godfather of one of his kids. And he and Monzone had a close relationship all through the years. And he actually supported Monzone and went to his trial and backed him when Monzone. I didn't know that those, about
1: Monzone. That's old, old. good stuff. I wasn't aware. Yeah, they, were, they were buddies. Monzone. I They were buddies and they'd be
0: seeing, they be, were seen in clubs together after Benvenuti retired in 71 and Monzone was building his legacy. They would hang out together. They, there was no bad blood.
1: Yeah. Cause I know him, Benvenuti and Griffith were very close. Emil told me when he, Uh, that Benvenuti would fly him to Italy and they would watch with other people their tapes of their fights and the people would be arguing and yelling and Emil would say I would be getting sometimes more support than he would. They'd be on my side because Griffith was loved in Italy. Even Vito Antifermo told me when he was a kid and he was in Italy, he had two heroes, Benvenuti and Griffith. He said, I may have liked even Emil Griffith a little more, you know? That was like an ironic thing. I'd love for a historian to look this up, Frank. Uh, they chant athletes' names. It had to no Nino, well. Nino. I wonder, is that the first time in sports history where they would be chanting an athlete's name, not as a one and done, what would be like a known thing, like nee, no, 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 no. Gil Clancy would be complaining, uh, you know, after the first fight when Benvenuti won the title and Benvenuti clearly deserved the decision, won 10 of the right. rounds. He was concerned for the rematch that the judges would be more busy listening to the Ninos than watching what was going on inside the ring. Uh, yeah. But he was, I'll tell you what, Ben Venuti, talented fighter. He could, at his very best when he was putting it all together he was a formidable fighter. I mean, he was a, he was a very good champion.
0: I was devastated when he lost to Monzone because, actually, you know, being an Italian kid, I loved him. I, you know, he was somebody I identified with a little bit. He was a middleweight. I like that division. And when he lost to Monzone, and he was a two to one favorite going into that fight, I was crippled. But th- let's face it, that right hand that Monzone hit him with. Would have knocked out a bull. That was some shot. Benvenuti, he crumbled. He barely beat the count. The referee stopped the fight. And it's like, you have to say this about Benvenuti. It took an all time break to get that title from him.
1: Benvenuti did show heart in the fight that he lost to Manzone because I remember watching how he started the fight. Kind of slowly, like, Monzon seemed to build up a lead, at least in my view. Manzón got
0: like, out to the lead to show everybody that, that this is not going to be an easy night.
1: Yeah, but Benvenuti rallied when he realized... In the third,
0: fourth, fifth rounds he I came mean, on a little straight.
1: bit. He was trying... When I say rallied, I'm not saying he necessarily won many rounds. But, you know, he was trying his darndest to hold on to the title. And then he caved in for the rematch, the last fight of his career against Manzón. It ended kind of controversially. Benvenuti went down a couple of times, two, three times. It only looked like glancing blows landed or he couldn't keep his footing. It was like weird. They threw the towel in. Cornerman threw in the towel and he kicked the towel out. Benvenuti really wanted to go on. He was furious. Like, what are you doing? He wasn't hurt. And after the fight, Benvenuti came up with a classic line. He said, Sometimes love can kill you meaning with this corner man. And, uh, but he was at, the, but listen, that's the great Carlos Monzón. Uh, he's, you know, if they fought 10 times, well, maybe could Ben Venuti have won once.
0: It's maybe. possible
1: because Ben Venuti was a great fighter. Maybe he would have solved Monzón for one fight because Griffith nearly did in the rematch against Monzón and didn't quite, but Griffith style was more suited to giving Monzone a hard battle. Yeah, he pressured him,
0: stayed inside. Monzone had the time up. He kind of smothered his jab a little bit, and that was the great aim of Griffith. Because let's, even though Benvenuti beat Griffith two out of three, we both know Griffith is the better fighter.
1: Yeah, Griffith had the greater career. I mean, because I mean Benvenuti was a, I mean a career junior middleweight, session middleweight. I you kind of wonder, you, you know, like we were talking different eras. If these guys, Griffith, Benvenuti, even though they both held a junior middleweight title, Benvenuti's had held a stronger part claim to a ta- junior middleweight title, and right. Griffith did. If they had all these divisions, to you know, if, if it was meaningful. The junior divisions just didn't mean much. I remember Carlos Ortiz telling me. When I won the junior welterweight title, it meant absolutely nothing to me at all. Because you had the eight traditional weight classes still were the main thing. You know, being a lightweight champ was big. And you know know what's ironic? When the junior classes meant something, I always wondered, why didn't Roberto Duran stop off a junior welterweight and pick up a title he most definitely would have won a title there had he wanted to he completely bypassed it he went from lightweight i guess because he had the sugar ray leonard fight there but you'd think duran would have picked up that version of the title somewhere along the line
0: that also it's kind of tells you that he didn't think very much of it or was respected you know who else could have done that and he didn't do it shane mosley
1: Oh, Shane Mosley, yeah, yeah, I, now I see your point. But uh, listen, you know, I never hold it against the fighter. If he wants to stay in one division his whole career. No, I don't either. Like Marvin Hagler, I don't want to hear any talk, well, Hagler should have fought Michael Spinks. Why? If Hagler wants to keep fighting his middleweight and spend his whole career there, that's where he should be. No ifs and buts about him. No need to move up to light heavyweight. And play around with your weight and bigger guys. He felt comfortable making the middleweight division. If he fought as a light heavyweight haggler, let's say, and he fought a lesser champion than Spinks, then I'd hold it against him. Same thing. I'll, felt- give the, I'll,
0: I'll give you the. I'll give you I'll take the opposite side of that for a minute. I can see your point, but if you're somebody like Quali or Spinks. And you see Hagler getting all the attention. And he's beating the guys that are coming up. And that's where he's making his name. I could see why they were bit, they could be a little bit armory about, well, if you're so great, come up and fight one of us. Now, in Hagler's defense, he wasn't a light heavyweight. And if you look at the history of the middleweight division, most of the great middleweight champs beat great lightweights during their reign. I mean you could you could look at it all through history and Monzone is another great example. He beat Griffith and he beat Napoli's two of the greatest middleweights uh, weights ever yeah.
1: Napoli's was great, but they're part
0: yeah. of his legacy.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, not, you know, it's not unheard of
0: for welterweights weights to fight middleweights.
1: No, it, it depends on the division. If the guy a division higher than you at especially at time, it depends who it was. Uh, Gil Clancy, when he was talking when Griffith held the middleweight title, they asked him about the possibility of challenging for the light heavyweight title. He said, Well, with Bob Foster there, you know, with a guy like Bob Foster, I kind of doubt it, you know. Uh, even though, no, Griffith didn't hold the middleweight title at that time, but he was fighting his middleweight, uh, you know, after he lost the rubber match with ben Benvenuti. He was never. Yeah, he lost in, in
0: 67, season. and Foster won in 68.
1: Right, right clancy said you know he doubts that they would go fight a guy ever like bob Foster, but if a guy like dick tiger held a light heavyweight title then they'd be interested you know and he, and he beat tiger twice right right that's just the way it happened uh to work the whole time so uh we covered good good topics today you know certain of these topics we're never gonna get an answer to, but that's what kind of makes it fun, you know? Like who are the beaten, who this? And you know that. what we can do,
0: Jack? Maybe next week. Maybe we could look at next week because there's not there's not much boxing. I don't think this upcoming weekend. Maybe something we touched on tonight and really go into it. Best one punch knockouts.
1: What? That's a good idea. I'm gonna start preparing my list. So thanks, guys, and. Thanks for everyone who listened in, Frank. It's been a great pleasure, like always. And I'm going to get to work as soon as we get off the show now. Have a great week. See everyone next next week from Frank and myself. Thanks for tuning
0: in, guys. Next week, I'll be healthier. Uh, we got 10 seconds left. I'm, I think Sherry Robinson knocking out Fulmer is the prettiest one-punch knockout. <laughs>
1: Okay, well, uh, you're going last, flurry.